in this day and age, I'm hoping that people see as quick as you get it. It's like dope money. Come quick, leave quick. So when it comes to this technology, exactly what it is, you got instant gratification thing, you can touch as many people with it as quick as they want to go, they can pull it from And right now we're talking about, are we talking about a virus? A virus, that's what we talked about, SIRS, MERS, BIRD, swine, Ebola, now Corona. Like, come on, folks, I mean, you gotta really, you gotta read the tea leaves, bro. You gotta, the devil's in the details. And with that said is, if you look at the recovery numbers on what we're talking about, I don't know what it is, but I guess the flu went on vacation on this year. Heart attacks went on vacation. vacation this year. Everything went on vacation this year when it came to, I'm talking about, oh, you, you know, oh. what we're going through right now. Right. Okay. And let's just call a spade a spade. And the reason I can have this conversation is because my family comes from communism. They fled communism. They had everything taken away from them. Everybody got murdered. Everybody got killed. And that's the reason me, being a first-generation Cuban-American, or maybe us, being first-generation Cuban-Americans, I look at freedom and I appreciate that shit. I appreciate opportunity. I appreciate anything that you give me. All I need is a little slip, partner, and I got you. And that comes from the fact that when a Castro took over everything, and I'm looking at what's going on right now, the only person here that's hot, 38 hot, is Castro. He's going, y'all did it with a virus? Shit. Y'all took over the world with a virus? Y'all gotta be kidding me. He had missiles pointed to the United States of America during the Russian Missile Crisis, during the Bay of Pigs and what they went, went on through. So, this shit gets deep. The only thing is, is do you want to realize how deep it is? That was Pitbull uh, spitting some knowledge on people there. Uh, I love watching that video. I, I love some of his emotion and things he says. We'll go through that. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the uh, White House Press Secretary, Jen Psaki. Uh She can't say when these green jobs will offset the thousands of jobs lost from the the canceling of the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, We got some audio for you there. Governor DeSantis, uh, you know, we got to talk about something to do with the Super Bowl. So Governor DeSantis had had a really, really good response, I thought, to the people criticizing him over his maskless photo at the Super Bowl. Uh, And then, of course, where where we're going to spend most of the time is going to be on the Trump second impeachment day. Um... Well, we'll talk first day and what we can about second day. Uh, And then we're going to wrap it up with an LA Times article. A lot of people are talking about this. I promise. I promise you I read this article uh, before I heard about it on all these other conservative talk shows. Uh, So these opinions are mine. That is an insane article titled, What Can You Do About the Trumpites Next Door? good times there and then we'll fit, we'll wrap it all up with healing relationships in america we got a do or die situation in front of us when it comes to how americans are relating to each other before we do that i got to talk to you about black rifle coffee i've got a fresh cup of the uh bison union roast Ah, I just ground that up this morning. Beautiful. Black Rifle Coffee, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, Black Rifle Coffee is the freshest, most American cup of coffee you're going to get. It is COVID-friendly. They ship it straight to your door. And on top of that, they went ahead and threw in a little uh, subscription model for you. So you never have to think about getting coffee. You never have to worry about reaching to the uh, back of the top shelf of your coffee cabinet and grabbing the worst 
oldest coffee that you ever had that you refuse to drink except when you're out of everything else. Um, th- this way with the subscription, you've just got fresh coffee coming to you, whether it's once a month, twice a month, uh, once every other month, whatever you want. It's beautiful. No promo code yet. Hopefully the Black Raffle Coffee guys will see what we're doing here and want to jump on board. Uh, if you know anybody over at Black Raffle Coffee, give us a shout out. Um, Black, uh, www.blackrafflecoffee.com. Check them out. Second, Cross and Musket Apparel. That is our t-shirt brand. Uh, we're trying to merge with Cross and Musket Apparel. The vision uh, long term is to merge great products that represent Christian American values with the musket side of that, which if you know, like from the Revolutionary War, how much of the militia um, gathering and grouping and getting them to commit to fight was done by the clergymen, the people of, of our churches. And so merging those two together, cross and musket, we thought it was a beautiful union because, uh, well, we love our country. And, you know, we're seeing so much going on in the world right now as far as people trying to spark revolutions and whatnot. And, you know, true conservatives, true Christians look back on what happened uh, to create this country and we realize the amount of blood that was shed. And we never want to have to be in that situation again. So we're not going to go looking for it. Uh, We're going to cling to peace. We're going to cling to our faith uh, for as long as absolutely possible. So that's a little bit of the mission behind Cross and Musket Apparel. Find us on Instagram. That's our main place, uh, at Cross and Musket. And uh, you can check out, I think, just straight there on Instagram, or it'll lead you to another little window to check out. So you don't have to be clicking around a bunch of menus. And uh, at checkout, use discount code INSTA, I-N-S-T-A, for 20% off of your order. So about that Pitbull audio, we won't spend a ton of time here. I just thought it was beautiful listening to somebody who can speak about communism. You got a lot of people, especially young people, people younger than me and my age, talking about communism as if it's this beautiful thing that just, ah, the people who've tried it before, they just never really got it right. And I'm thinking, okay, these people who have tried communism, socialism, Marxism in the past, they were world leaders. They were people at the helm of the ships. You know, they were the ones who were controlling things. They had the influence and the power. And so some kid in their pajamas who probably plays video games eight hours a day and the rest of the time is on some Twitch feed, they're going to be more committed to communism to make sure that it goes well. That In their infinite knowledge they, they received at community college, no knock on community college, I, I graduated from a community college, but um, that they are somehow more equipped and qualified to completely upend our entire economic and social structure of capitalism and free market principles and replace that with communism. It's bold. (laughs) It's a a bold move there. Um, But listening to Pitbull talk about his feelings towards communism is coming from that being a first-generation Cuban-American and seeing, listening to that, I appreciate the freedom, the ability to go out and pursue my own happiness and not giving a crap what somebody else thinks about, well, you know, you're you're too rich. You need to give more of that to poor people. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But when, when you start injecting the, hey, you should donate your money. If not, well, the government's going to come in and make sure that you're extremely charitable uh, by threat of imprisonment, really. Um, so there's dangers behind that kind of power being centralized in Washington, D.C., um, something that I always come back to when I start thinking about 
communism, socialism, which socialism is really just a, a the slippery slope to make you fall inevitably into communism. There's this idea of equality, and we've talked about before, especially in, in context to the Great Reset, how we're, we're seeing that word change from equality, meaning equality of opportunity, to equity, being the equality of outcomes, that we all deserve that same end net result. And the danger behind that is can be spoken uh, about by anybody who has fled communism. We saw Ted Cruz as a father back in 2016 really coming out and speaking uh, about, listen, these things that these Democrats are proposing. Not all Democrats. I've spoken many times. I love Tulsi Gabbard. But a lot of the far left Democrats, the people really buying into that ideology, whether it is they're, they're true believers or they just like the influence and power it brings them. Um, I'm not sure exactly. But what I will say is that there are people who can speak to those. I can speak to the effects of capitalism on my life personally. And now somebody else might have a different feeling towards capitalism based off of how their lives have turned out. And the same has to be said about communism or any system of government or economy or social structure. People who've lived through it and fled it and saw people die because of it they can speak to it. So I, I, I like to highlight people who are taking bold positions because that is not something easy to do in this day and age. It's not easy to come out and speak almost in direct contrast to what Democrat leadership is pursuing. That's not a recipe for career success, especially in the rap industry, in the music industry, which is so sold out audibly for the far left for far left ideologies and the ones who are more on the right side, they're having to be quiet. I saw an article today um, before we move on uh, about Chris Pratt or his brother is member of a, of a group called the three percenters, I think who believe that essentially it took 3% of the American population or 8%, something like that. 3%, I think uh, to, to win the revolution against great Britain and that they are the three percenters. Um, I don't know if that statistic is real or not, but they are using that as way they're they're we'll get into this more with the impeachment talk, but they're lumping everybody who disagrees with them in with January sixth, with these far right wing America is fucked. We need to be in control of the next movement. They're the same they're the same just opposite end of the spectrum from Antifa, in my opinion. Uh, so th- we'll get into more of that later. Really quickly, um, I want to play some audio for you uh, from the White House Pre- Press Secretary, Jen Psaki. Uh, I think it's pronounced Saki. I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to say Psaki, and I, and I just like throwing a P randomly <laughs> in front of a bunch of different stuff because it's hilarious in my own head. Leave me alone. Uh, but here's uh, about three minutes of her talking to Fox News reporter Peter Ducey. Uh, Ducey? 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 I don't know. Ducey. Uh, and he is questioning her very, very effectively, by the way, about this plan to replace these thousands of jobs lost by the canceling of the Keystone Pipeline. And we get to hear a little bit about what the Biden's Biden administration's plan is to replace those jobs. Take a listen. Go ahead. Thank you, Jen. I do have a question on COVID, but first on energy. When is it that the Biden administration is going to let the thousands of uh, fossil fuel industry workers, whether it's pipeline workers or construction workers, 
who are either out of work or will soon be out of work because of a Biden EO, uh, when it is and where it is that they can go for their green job. And that is something the administration has promised. Uh, there is now a gap. So I'm just curious when that happens, when those people can count on that. Well, I'd certainly welcome you to present your data of all the thousands and thousands of people who uh, won't be getting a green job. Maybe next time you're here, you can well, present well, that. But you said that they would be getting green jobs, so I'm just asking when that happens. Uh, Richard Trumka, who is a friend, longtime friend of Joe Real Biden, quick, says how about that condescending is she? He says, I wish oh, I can't stand prepared that more carefully with the thing that he did second by saying, here's where we are creating the jobs. So... There's partial evidence from Richard Trumka. Well, you didn't include all of his interview. Okay. Would you like okay. to include the rest? So, so how about this? Uh, the Laborers International Union of North America said the Keystone decision will cost 1,000 existing union jobs and 10,000 projected construction jobs. Well, what Mr. Trumka also indicated in the same interview was that President Biden has proposed a climate plan with transformative investments in infrastructure and laid out a plan that will not only create millions of good union jobs, but also help tackle the climate crisis. We love saying the that president phrase, has good indicated union when he jobs. gave his primetime address uh, to talk about the American Rescue Plan. He talked about his plans to also put forward a jobs plan uh, in the in the weeks or months following. And he has every plan to do exactly that. But uh, there are people living paycheck to paycheck. When? There are now people out of jobs once the Keystone pipe out of jobs once the Keystone pipeline uh, stopped construction. It's been 12 days since Gina McCarthy and John Kerry were here, and it's been 19 days since that EO. So what are these people who need money now? When do they get their green job? Well, uh, the, the president and many Democrats and Republicans in Congress believe that investment in infrastructure, building infrastructure uh, that's in our national interests uh, and that boosts the U.S. economy, creates good-paying union jobs here in America and advances our climate and clean energy goals are something that we can certainly work on doing together. And he has every plan to uh, share more about his uh, details of that plan in the, in the weeks ahead. And then just a quick one on the stimulus. There's reporting that House Democrats are going to come out with a $3,000 per child stimulus for some eligible families. Is that something that the White House supports making a permanent benefit? Well, the president talked about this uh, a bit on the campaign trail and the importance of um, child tax credits uh, to help working families um, ensure they can make ends meet. This proposal is emergency funding, as I understand it. Uh, it's a central priority of his first legislative proposal to cut child poverty ha in half in in the first this year, sorry, um, and that's why he included a child tax credit in the American Rescue Plan. Uh, but that's again emergency funding and something that will help people get through this period of time. Uh, that video is from the Blaze TV on Instagram, by the way. If you want to uh, listen to it yourself, but that was it. Pisaki's big uh, counter to when can these people receive these green jobs they were promised. Uh, her response is that the Biden administration plans to plan to come up with a plan in order to plan the plan, essentially. And this is what frustrates me. She talked about how, okay, yeah, he said that back on the campaign trail. So the plan to cancel the Keystone Pipeline is not brand new. In fact, it has been talked about, I'm sure, since it was approved by the Trump administration. So Biden has every plan to plan. What the hell has he been doing? How long in advance did he know that he was going to cut the Keystone Pipeline versus how long he's taking to replace those lost jobs? 
And many from the left will counter that with saying, well, you know, uh, free market principles. If the, if the economy moves one direction, you, you want the government now to, to bail these people out or artificially inject jobs. No, no, no. That's not what's happening. Because there's two... I know that in order for innovation to happen, sometimes jobs have to be sacrificed in one sector to make room for the next sector. You know, we can't have a bunch of people that are certified and just amazing at, I don't know, what's an antiquated thing. Um, well, let's, let's say using a typewriter and knowing how to load the paper and you know things like that. It doesn't pay to have a bunch of people professionally trained and using an outmoded device when there is a more recent, better, more efficient piece of technology to do the work. I get that. That is free market capitalism. But I've got two counters to that. First of all, the Keystone Pipeline didn't naturally die because of shifts in the free market. It was purposely, intentionally, willingly, and deliberately done by Joe Biden via executive order at the justification of the far left. So it's not like oh, wow, look at this. Uh, solar energy is just taking off. We're able to produce so much solar en energy. We've got surplus. It's cheap energy. Let's get rid of oil jobs and start transitioning people over. Because free market principles say, well, if I'm pulling oil out of the ground and I'm, I'm seeing the decline of my industry because there's something better, hey, I'm going to go to night school and I'm going to learn how to install, how to give estimates, how to quote and uh, repair and grow these solar panels and things like that. You know, there's a guy, my, my parents have solar panels on the top of their house because it is a great way for them to get energy and they actually get a check from the local co-op uh, because they're when their batteries are full, they're actually pumping energy back into that regional uh, electrical co-op. So it's cool. It's a great thing. It makes sense for my parents. It doesn't make sense for everybody, but it makes sense there. But they've got the same guy coming out and, and working on the solar panels. It is somebody who is trained. I don't know what this guy did before. He's middle-aged. I don't know what he did, what industry he was working in, but he made the decision, I need to learn how to install those solar panels. And not just install them, but service them. So there, yeah, there, there are your um, good paying union jobs, maybe. But it didn't happen naturally. And that's the issue that we've had so many times in this energy, renewable energy and getting off of fossil fuels debate is the technology's not there yet. The cleanest form of energy we have right now is oil and natural gas. When there's something better, what's well, transition and, and it's, it's in the progress. It's in the, the process of, of replacing oil. We're just not there yet. And forcing it through executive order is not the same as letting the market carry you from one to the next. Second, uh, progressives, they take the complete opposite side of the fence when they argue for a higher minimum wage, but against replacing people with machines. You know, they say, okay, we're going to raise the wage to $15 an hour, but then when McDonald's comes out and replaces cashiers with a machine that takes your order, well, then they lose their flipping crap because, no, you're just trying to get rich. You're just trying to cut costs and increase profits. You're not taking care of people. You can't have it both ways here. You can't say that, oh, we're going to replace those. You know, if you're somebody who works on an oil pipeline, we'll just go learn to code. It doesn't add up to your stated values, which you can throw that parentheses, hypocrisy. Because what is automation within industry, but a direct response to higher comparative costs 
in employing human labor. If now you're being told in order to hire Adam, it's now instead of, instead of, you're, instead of paying him $9 an hour, now you've got to pay him $15 an hour. That is a massive increase in the cost of hiring a person. You have to start thinking, okay, can I cut labor costs? Because that's your most expensive ex- expense <laughs> in business, always. Human labor. So you can't have it both ways, Democrats. Or can you? Because what we're going to see now is that they're just going to print money. If you just print enough money to bail everybody out and save face, well, then it's the next guy's problem. In four years, you, you hand the torch, or eight years, we'll see. You hand the torch off, well, that now it's his problem. Screw it. I've got a, I had a, my 47% approval rating, and I'm going into exile, hopefully. <laughs> um, but tying that back into uh, Pitbull's audio, The heavy hand of the government is not what this country was built on. It is why so many people want to come here, because you truly can be who you want to be. But we're leaving that. We're leaving that mentality, that ideology in the dust in pursuit of powerful, centralized, centralized, if you don't understand the term, they're centralized and decentralized, centralized meaning everything is collected in in a small pile. You've got so much power isolated in Washington, D.C. that affects the smallest person in the smallest county of the country. That is centralized power. Decentralized would be like federalism, where that power is taken away from the federal government, redistributed, the left loves that word, redistributed to the states and then to the smaller regional offices and then to your local counties. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, But it is pitbull... People said that's not where we're at. This this scheme to take us from where we've been to where they want us to be, uh, it, it runs so deep. It runs a lot deeper, I think, than even the the most conspiracy believing conspiracy theorist actually knows. Governor DeSantis at the Super Bowl. We do have to make mention of the Super Bowl. I didn't watch it. Well, I watched the halftime show because I love the weekend. Um, I heard mixed reviews on that. Uh, I don't know, whatever. I think people just want to be outraged about something. Speaking of being outraged, Governor DeSantis from Florida was uh, photographed not wearing a mask at the Super Bowl. His reply, how the hell am I supposed to drink my beer? I thought that was perfect because, I mean, valid. (laughs) Uh, Okay, moving on from the fun stuff, if that was fun. Impeachment. So if you're not aware of the second impeachment of Donald Trump, we've talked a little bit in the, in the past with the first impeachment, um, but what that looks like, what that means. Um, so the House votes to impeach, they make an accusation, and then it goes to the Senate, which is essentially a Senate Judiciary Court hearing, um, trying Donald Trump, alleging that he incited the violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Implications of impeachment... If Donald Trump is impeached, which it is not just a simple majority vote, which the Democrats would win, in order to impeach Donald Trump, they would need a supermajority of 67 votes. Right now, with uh, only six Republicans jumping over to the Democrat side to say that this hearing was even constitutional, it doesn't look like this is going to go anywhere. It doesn't look like Donald Trump will be impeached. But let's say he is impeached. Um I mean, it's, it's inciting violence, inciting insurrection. There's a lot of implications there. Well, we'll get into that in a second. What is the accusation? What do they accuse Trump of? 
He was impeached by the House last month before Joe Biden was inaugurated on a charge of inciting an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I'm pulling this, by the way, from a CNN Politics article, which I tried to find again, but they post so many freaking articles on the same subject, just I, I couldn't find it. I apologize. Sorry, CNN. Um, next time. Uh, the defense of Donald Trump. His lawyers are arguing that the trial itself is unconstitutional, number one. Number two, that Trump's comments about the election are protected under the First Amendment. And number three, that Trump was not responsible for inciting the mob that breached the Capitol. So we got to go from there. There's so there's so much that's going to be happening during this the imp- impeachment proceedings, which day two actually I think just started here. Uh, they got a late start. I think yesterday they said they were going to start at noon Eastern. I don't know. Interesting. Anyways. So one of the things that this article alleges or tries to implicate regarding the people who maybe are supporting the, the president or who argued that this the, the trial itself is unconstitutional, the reason for the argument that the the this entire process is unconstitutional is because Donald Trump is not president. They're voting to impeach. You can't impeach a citizen. Impeachment is removal from office or a crime committed during office. Now they accused him while he was still president. And as I saw on CNN this morning, they were saying, making the case that Mitch McConnell said, well, we can't uh, have this, this hearing uh, right now because we're so close to January 20th that the, the um, prosecution is just going to rush this through rush, a decision in order to accuse Trump before January 20th and then cause further division in the country. We talked last episode about the January rule, I think, um, about how if that was a case, if you couldn't try a president for impeachment after he's left office, well, then the January January rule would say, well, if I'm president, I'm about to leave office. I'm just going to do whatever I want in January because as long as I run out the clock, if they can't convict me by the 20th, I get off scot-free. So I understand that argument. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening is they are attempting to impeach a president for actions committed while he was president, which I don't necessarily have a problem with. I wouldn't want to set the precedent of whatever you do in January is just it's off the record, essentially. Um, But at the same time, speaking of precedent, I don't like setting the precedent of sending politicians to jail. Number one. Number two, even if he doesn't go to jail, political retribution after the fact when there's nothing to be gained except political points. That, that's what we fled from. So the, the, the quote from the article referring to the Republicans who said that it was unconstitutional, quote, they needed to not just vote to acquit Trump or say that Trump was uh, innocent, as they are all expected to do, the article says, but still quoting, but also object to even the idea of having a trial for the former president at all. And when when I saw even having a trial, like they won't even let us look at the evidence, these guys, these bastards. What came into my head, kind of like even the idea of taking another look at the election, of being able to look and verify signatures on mail-in votes, kind of like that, kind of like even the idea of a hint of voter fraud, even the idea that somebody would vote when they're already dead, it happened. Both sides benefited from it. So why can't we even take another look? Again, trying to play both sides of the fence. 
hypocrisy. It's also worth noting uh, that Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, I don't know what's happened to this guy. I don't know if he decided he wanted to join the woke crowd and try to be this, you know, can't we all just get along type of guy, you know, trying to pull a, uh, oh, shoot, what's his face? Um, oh, from 2016. Um, crap. Can't remember his name. Anyways, the guys have come out and just, they think, well, we need unity. We need somebody to, to speak unifying words. And as long as I take the middle of the road, well, then I can pull enough people from both parties. And it just, it never works. Just shut up. Um, but it, yeah, the article says it is worth noting that Ben Sass voted for the rules, uh, voted to have the trial, but he is already positioned as running as a sort of anti or post Trump candidate in 2024. So, uh, Ben Sass doesn't look like he's going to go away as much as we might want him to. And he's going to try to do that run, you know, Trump. Yeah. He led us maybe in the right direction, but we need to reaffirm our, our commitment to unifying with the other side of the aisle. And that's great. and all, but when the other side of the aisle is saying, Neil comply, or you're an enemy of the state, I kind of have to look at somebody who wants me to unify with somebody like that as part of the problem. So sorry, Ben, um, another quote from the article, the Republicans might regain the house in two years. Um, this is, uh, Bruce Castor, one of Trump's attorneys is saying this Republicans might regain the house in two years, alleging there would be a, be pressure for the GOP to respond with further impeachments. So what he's trying to say, well, he says it here, the political pendulum will shift one day and partisan impeachments will become commonplace. This is what I mentioned before, where we don't want to set this precedent of, oh, I don't like you politically, so I'm going to find some way to legally silence you, legally keep you from coming in and engaging in politics um, with supporters behind you. Democrats are arguing that it's constitutional. Oh, here it is. Yeah, one argument being the January rule, which is basically a president could do whatever he wants as long as there's not enough time to impeach before January 20th. Um the pendulum co- pendulum comment is exactly why we don't do this because we don't want to start that slippery slope of putting political rivals in jail. That's the road to England. That's the road to what we fled when we started this country. And yeah, I say we, I, I mean, I wasn't a pilgrim, but if you're allowed to say we about the freaking Dallas Cowboys, I'm allowed to say we about <laughs> the people who founded this country. Anyways, we fled monarchy, plain and simple. If nobody else plays by the rules, then I won't either. I'm just going to, I'm going to reign. I'm going to be a king. And the rules, yeah, they say that we have to have an election, but you know what? Screw the rules because nobody's playing by the rules. I'm going to do what I want to do. And trust me, we don't want to make a Napoleon Bonaparte out of any politician, but especially a Donald Trump. Oh, sorry, we got a lot to go through, so I'm going to be speeding through. I need to take a sip. My mouth is dry. Love that coffee. Um, Trump is def- Trump's defense on Twitter, uh, which is it's the Twitter page for his defense is actually just his campaign team. I don't know why I thought that was necessary, but now you know. Um, they said on Twitter, imagine having a trial where the judge had already voted to convict the defendant. That's what happens in banana republics, third world dictatorships, and now the United States Senate. Sad. That's exactly right. Chief Justice Roberts, who by constitutional law is supposed to preside over the impeachment, he wouldn't even dignify the proceedings. So what are you going to do when your prescribed rules by the Constitution 
and the person who's supposed to essentially give legal judicial validation to the process says, ah, it's no, it's not constitutional. What do you do? You say, fuck it. And you get Pat. Oh, we got Mr. Pat from the Senate. I forgot his last name, Patrick, whatever. Um, who's sitting up there instead of chief justice Roberts. So cool. We got Pat, um, whatever that means. Um, so current status, Senate is divided 50-50 along party lines, and Democrats have the majority only through Harris's tie-breaking vote. So if you didn't know that, I think we talked about this before when we were talking about the Georgia runoffs. Um, but with the House divided 50-50, the tie-breaking vote goes to the vice president, which Kamala Harris, so the Democrats, do have somewhat of a majority. Um, bottom line, though, they're not going to get that super, super, majority, super majority vote to impeach. Uh, really all this is the last desperate, desperate attempt by Dems to fend off what they know is coming in 2024. So the Democrats know that either Trump's going to run again, or he's going to back a candidate through the Republican party or through a third party. And they can't compete because already within the first, what is it? 20 days of Joe Biden's 21 days of Joe Biden's administration. We're seeing jobs cut by executive order. We're seeing none of Joe Biden. He's back into hiding. And we're just seeing more of the same, more of just the status quo, which just keep the right and the left fighting with each other, and then we get to keep our power. That's exactly what we're seeing out of D.C. already. But further than that, they're not fighting just to silence Trump. They're fighting ideologically, well, one, with the far right, which of course most conservatives are not a part of the majority, the vast majority are not a part of the conservative right is fighting back. I would argue just as hard, but not just for rights or just for a voice they're fighting. Cause we don't want to be lumped in with the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, because here's the thing. If Trump is impeached, not only will Trump be condemned, but anybody who voted for him, any Congress members who will not just flat out scream from the mountaintops that Trump is the worst thing to happen to America. It'll be the final seal of approval to begin the silencing and not even begin. I should have struck that out to continue to further to escalate the silencing of anybody who is favorable to Trump. This coming from an administration that has been screaming, we want unity. We want unity president of all American people. I'm not blue or red president, blah, blah, blah. What a joke. They're not even trying. So day one, yesterday of impeachment, um, the prosecution brought out a 13 minute video, of the Capitol riot. I encourage you to go watch for it. Uh, go watch it. I'm, I'm including a link to it in the show notes. 13 minute video is it's essentially splicing together what was happening at the Capitol in real time with what Trump was saying. And I think it's important. It is important to see it's well put together. I thought, um, it actually shows you what happened when, how it went down uh, you hear the voices, you hear the anger, you hear the rage of the people who are storming the Capitol. Uh, you also hear a lot of people saying, whoa, 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 stop doing that. You know, you could see, uh, I remember seeing them battering a window uh, still outside the Capitol with a flagpole. And I could hear, whoa, 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 people saying, what are, what are you doing? This isn't what, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, the video definitely shows Trump's words for what they were, uh, in my opinion, irresponsible. Uh, I would even say incendiary. Uh, I, I would say that they definitely contributed to what happened at the Capitol. But you also have to 
realize this massive crowd of protesters and supporters of Donald Trump, mostly peaceful, truly mostly peaceful, until they weren't. I think that Trump's lack of uh, tactfulness, of being careful with his words, that led to the riots because where there was not a firm, y'all need to be peaceful, that room for question was, oh, well, he can't say it, but Trump wants us to, to storm the Capitol and take back our country. Like he did say in the, in the video, we need, we need to take back our country before we don't have a country left. If I'm somebody who's prone to violence, who's prone to thinking I'm this revolutionary, I'm going to go in um, 1776 all over the Capitol. Well, then I can't blame somebody like that for reading into Trump's ambiguous words like take back your country. So I get it. I get the anger towards what he said, how he said it. And I had a ton of other notes here about what I was watching in the video, but forget all that. Because bottom line, this video shows exactly how horrible January 6th was. I now, by watching this video, I can understand how Capitol Police have taken their lives after experiencing January 6th, of watching their countrymen call them traitors, fuck the police, fuck you pigs. Hearing that over and over, if I'm a Capitol Police member, I'm a cop. I'm somebody who has pledged my life to defending what this country stands for. The seat of justice being our, our Capitol building. And yet, my own countrymen are coming at me and calling me a traitor. I can, I can absolutely see how that wrecked lives. Um... You hear fight for Trump over and over. People were convinced that Trump wanted them there. It's disgusting. But forget all my notes. Beyond the video showing just how horrible January 6th was, I don't see evidence of Trump's intent to incite the insurrection. And whether you love Trump or you hate him, intent is a big word when it comes to criminality. Now you can charge somebody with involuntary manslaughter, which carries a certain penalty, or you bump that up to murder, which establishes the intent to extinguish a life. I can use Trump's words to say involuntary um, insurrection. I could see involuntary incendiary comments. I cannot see that Donald Trump wanted these people to go down to the Capitol smash windows, break down doors, fight with Capitol Police officers, and ultimately watch one of the rioters get shot through the throat, beating up Capitol Police officers who had to be treated for physical wounds. Some of them committed suicide in the days following. I don't believe that's what Trump wanted. and I don't believe that Donald Trump acted with intent for that to happen. <sighs> Day two, starting today, uh, we're, we're seeing that the prosecution is going to use another video of the riot, more security tape footage. I honestly haven't watched it because I don't need to see anymore. I get that it was wrong. I believe that it was wrong. It's terrible. It's disgusting. My stomach drops every single time I'm, I'm watching this Capitol Police officer stuck between a door and a crowd of Trump, the Trump mob. And they're hitting him in the head. He's bleeding out of the face. It's disgusting. I also have seen and understand Trump's role in the violence. 
much like I have since 2016. I wish he would just shut the hell up. But we have to be extremely uh, careful and extremely clear about what happened and why. Because there are implications that can stretch for generations. The only difference between what Trump said and did on January 6th and what many from the left have said, especially over the summer in regards to Black Lives Matter and Tifa riots and in protests, mostly peaceful protests, in which people were killed, businesses were looted, billions of dollars in damage committed, rapes, domestic violence committed in the um, autonomous zones. The only difference between what those politicians said back over the summer and what Donald Trump said on January 6th is that the far right acted on what they believed to be injustices. They acted with conviction and with swiftness and with organization. Wrongly so, I believe. But they acted on what they believed to be injustices. And they didn't do it by burning down their city. They didn't do it by breaking into the local convenience store. They didn't do it by looting a Walmart. They did it by attacking where they felt the injustice lies. That's Washington, D.C. And so as wrong as what they did was, I don't believe it deserves greater attention than what happened over the summer. I believe that both the, the riots over the summer and the riots on January 6th should be condemned and the FBI should use the same powers they're using today to find the people involved in the riots on January 6th. Use those same powers to find the people involved over the summer. But they won't. So, before we move on, I want Trump to go away from politics. I, I've decided that's where I'm at. He won't. He's extremely powerful and I think any sort of maturity that I felt Donald Trump displayed over the past four years, I think he's about to say, fuck it. And I think we're about to see the wrath of Donald Trump. I don't know. I hope not. But I feel a calm before the storm coming, depending what happens this week with the impeachment. I, I just don't know. I want him to go away until he grows I've, I've dropped the F-bomb too many times. I apologize. My notes, uh, I want him to go away till he grows the F up. That's just honestly how I feel. January 6th made me that way. I don't think he intended to spark the violence. I think he honestly believed that his followers were above that. Unfortunately, that was not the case. He didn't clarify what he meant with words like fight and stand up, like I am now forced to do. I can't use those words without saying fight spiritually or ideologically fight with words. I can't just say words that could be taken the wrong way because they will be taken the wrong way. Donald Trump says, screw all that. And he just shoots from the hip and then leaves the rest of us with the consequences. For those reasons, I want him to go away. And with that, that's all I got to say about that. Uh, we're running out of time. So I want to get to the LA Times article that I mentioned titled, What Can You Do About the Trumpites Next Door? This is similar to that HuffPo and NPR, the two articles I read last episode, where it's this this person coming forward trying to say that they're, they're, they want to give benefit of the doubt to the Trumpite. But very quickly, <laughs> you realize this person is, isn't even capable of seeing anything through a lens other than their own ideology. The article acknowledges 
the favor that the Trumpite next door did, which was to, uh, I guess, snowblow or, or scrape up the snow off of the, the neighbor's driveway. So here's a, here's a Trumper who shovels the snow for his neighbor, being the person who wrote this article, and they're wondering, they have this moral episode internally of how to respond to this. I'm not exactly sure why. But really quickly, the article acknowledges the favor, but then compares it to Nazis being polite to their fellow Germans. Hezbollah members, which is a, a terrorist group over in the Middle East, um, in Syria, that they do favors for each other, that the mafia organizations give free stuff to each other. And so by this Trumpite next door doing a small favor for his neighbor, what he's trying to, to wrap them up and bring them into the fold of being a Nazi. Like I I don't understand it. Obviously Um, it's extremely just beyond what my brain can comprehend as far as tone deafness. Here's a quote from the article. So when I accept generosity from my pandemic neighbors, acknowledging the legitimate kindness with a wave or a plate of cookies, am I also sealing us in as fellow travelers who are very polite to each other, but not so much to them? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm speechless. No. Doing a favor for your neighbor is called being neighborly. It's called being a decent human being. It's called being a good fellow American. It is not trying to evangelize your neighbor. Because you see now that these people can't even see beyond politics when it comes to just being a good neighbor. They see everything through politics, through race, and through gender. And you're either on their side or you're evil. Another quote, but I can offer a standing invitation to make amends, not with a snowplow, but by recognizing the truth about the Trump administration and more important, by working for justice for all those who the, whom the administration harmed. Only when we work shoulder to shoulder to repair the damage of the last four years will we even begin to dig out of the storm. I agree with that last section in some ways. Um, the problem here being... The terms of this Trumpite not being compared to a Nazi or Hezbollah or the Mafia, the terms of that happening, the terms of gaining the writer's trust, means recognizing a truth that the writer believes in, but that might fly in the face of everything this Trump person believes. Maybe I don't believe that Donald Trump raped and pillaged America over the past four years. Maybe I believe he was a flawed human who did maybe the best he could, but subpar as far as his uniting of the country, his tactfulness, his ability to communicate a message or lack of ability. But that doesn't mean that I think that he was a, he's a bad person. And I don't believe that I need to work for justice in the way that a leftist like this person would agree with. I don't believe in reparations. I don't believe that I need to apologize for things that people did generations ago. I believe that I'm responsible for treating people that I meet today as good fellow human beings and giving people the benefit of the doubt today. 
our definitions are opposed to each other now. And so that leads me to my close, which is how do we return to normalcy? I like to to think about how we treat each other on social media, politically, as is a, is a form of a relationship. We have a relationship with people who are either within our own ideology or they're in a different ideology. Maybe it's an opposing ideology. So there's a relationship there, and it's it's not a good one at this point. It's it's bordering on you know domestic abuse at this point back and forth both parties responsible by the way i think we need to do what any failing relationship partnership should do we got to take some time it's 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 me it's not you i just need some distance i need to figure out who i am all those clichés that's what we need to do give each other some distance figure out who we are apart from each other Again, sounds cliche, but back to what I mentioned earlier at the start of the episode, we need to decentralize this awesome power that is concentrated in Washington, D.C., and let the states build back with each other. So there's a lot I had to put off. Um, Today being Wednesday, I'll still see you on Friday for the Friday debrief. Um... The next episode, we'll have some detail on a South Dakota Republican who introduced a bill to reject Biden's extreme, uh, his executive orders. So what this bill, it's a House resolution bill in South Dakota. They're trying to say, well, okay, yeah, it's an executive order. We recognize that, but we're still going to filter it through our own constitution, which is how it's supposed to be. It's how the states are supposed to act. If the federal government overreaches, the states don't just bend over and take it. The states are supposed to say, hold up, bro. We disagree. What are we going to do about this? So I hope that passes um, from what I've read. looks favorable. But we'll talk some more about that on Friday. Um, Part of this, I guess you can call reuniting with each other uh, through taking some time apart from each other, politically speaking. The only way that we can reconcile with the other half of the country, whatever half you're you're reflecting with and thinking okay there's this other half that is completely opposed to you the only there's only two roads to go down from there you're only going to end up in one of two places either you're going to make it through and you, and we're going to reconcile or we never will we're we're so heavily divided right now so if your goal is further division we'll just keep doing what you're doing if your goal is to heal these divides, to be part of this generation that replaces the past generation and does what is right, no matter who wins politically, well, part of that part of that healing involves trust. But you can't just expect to be trusted. You also have to be trustworthy. You have to trust the other side. And the other side has to be able to trust you. you got to be vulnerable. And part of being vulnerable is being approachable, being open-minded, being willing to hear somebody else's opinion. Holding each other accountable. And in order for me to be able to hold you or you being able to hold me accountable for my actions and my words is for me to have integrity, for me to be consistent, 
for me, if I have a different opinion today than I did 10 years ago, where was my turning point? You, you see what I'm saying there? Like, there's got to be a level of consistency in my opinions and the convictions that I claim to hold and how I, what I hold other people accountable to. If I'm flip-flopping on issues, well, there's no integrity there, so there can be no accountability. And a person like that has to be replaced as far as political power goes. So, we got to fix ourselves. On the record, which is partially what this podcast is for, I'm looking inward. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? And now everybody knows exactly what I think. And you'll see my integrity or lack of 100 episodes down the road. So then at least we'll have our good name. At least we'll have a reputation of honesty and integrity. Because if, if we don't even have that, we have nothing. And we can't move forward effectively or progressively on a foundation of lack of trust, lack of vulnerability, lack of integrity, lack, lack of holding each other accountable. You can't build anything on a foundation like that. So... Through whatever mechanisms, levers of power we use, or if it's just grassroots, my voice, your voice, we've got to start the process of healing. In spite of, in the face of what's happening in D.C., forget it. It's done. Whatever. Let's move on together through the mentality of like the Point B podcast, which if, if you didn't listen to the first episodes, Point B comes from... This is our point B. We are all here. We are all experiencing this life together. It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter what our point A was. That point A is from an infinite amount of directions, backgrounds, economic, financial uh, surplus or lacking, private school, public school, faith, non-faith, born in America, immigrant, first generation, we come from a, a plethora of backgrounds, but all that matters now that we're here at point B is that we're at least honest with each other about the fact that we want to improve. It's just a matter of how. If we can agree on the principles that developed this nation in the way that it did to benefit the entire world, we have to seize hold of those principles. And then if we can just come to the table and agree on basic decency. Then we can talk about our differences of opinion about how to get to the end object end of objective. But if that end objective is principally different for us, well, that's a problem. <laughs> so I, I, I take you back to um, be free. Uh, there was a quote I had on my uh, on the podcast Instagram page. I would encourage you to go over there and take a look. Um, I'm going to stall for a couple more minutes until I can find that quote. <laughs> this is from Albert Camus. I might have already actually said this on the podcast, but it's been stuck in my head for a while. The only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. So go out, live your life, be free, be a good human being. And that's it. Just be free. They, they, they can't, take away your freedom, you can only give it up. And so at this point, we have to seize hold of our voices and use our voices. 
And with that, as always, be kind to each other, treat each other with respect, give each other benefit of the doubt, um, hold people who you agree with accountable on social media. If you see somebody who claims to believe the same things you believe, but not acting accordingly, call them out. And the flip side of that is being, being open-minded and honest and, and I guess teachable enough for somebody else to call you out and you not get offended. Um, so that's where we're at. Be a good human being and uh, check out blackrifflecoffee.com. Check out Cross and Musket on Instagram for some super soft, super high quality, good old American teas. Um, so beyond that, I got nothing for you. I'll see you back here on Friday. Uh, for the Point P Podcast. This was your midweek update. I appreciate it. Don't forget, promo code INSTA for 20% off and cross some musket apparel. Take care.